You found the coffee stop by Day One Members. This is the show for cyclists who need to get faster but also want to look great on their bikes. While we don't teach you the latest fashion trends and hairstyles, we'll help you get that edge you need to gain more speed with smart training and the latest tech talk. Here are your hosts, Anthony Walsh and Stephen Dugan. So welcome to another edition of the um, Coffee Shop Podcast, and, and this day I'm really uh, privileged and pleased because we've got a phenomenal guest on, Craig. Uh, you've had just such amazing success over the last year in time trialing, and I was inspired to reach out to you, and I saw some of your posts on the uh, the time trial forum. Um, so just really amazing results. You've managed to kind of just up your game to such a phenomenal level. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, that was it. I thought I'd go hard or go home for a year, really, and um, throw everything at it, the kitchen sink, the lot, you know, see what I could achieve and, and train hard. I mean, you were already a good cyclist, let's be, I mean, so for the benefit of the, you know, the listeners, just before the season, give, give, give us, you know, your, your, your top 25 mile and 10 mile uh, TT times so we can get a sense of where you started from. I mean, I came into time trial, I suppose, in about 2009, 2008. Um, so I, I got quite into it, and in 2011, I think was about was my best season. Um, and I PB'd then 21:33 for 10, uh, 57 20 something for for 25, and I'd I'd broken two hours. I think uh, 158 along 158 for 50 miles. Um, and that was all in 2011. And then I got a new job in um, 2000 January 2013. I got a job as a deputy head, so uh, my my work-life balance went a bit sour, to be honest. <laughs> so although a couple of years ago I was still getting, I was dipping into the 21s, and I was still kind of dipping in 57s, 58s. I wasn't, I wasn't really improving. I just didn't have the time to put in. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. But you're, you're smack bang in the demographic. I mean, we've over fourteen thousand people, um, you know, that 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 kind of receive our emails weekly and listen to this uh, podcast as we send it out. And you know, we surveyed our list recently, and about eight hundred people responded, and they said their number one challenge uh, was time, and then also, you know, not understanding what to really focus on with regard to their training. So. You've, you, you know, you've, you've still got a busy job. Um, so how did you manage to, what were the things that you focused on that you realized you needed to change in order to step up to the next level? And you didn't just step up to the next level, let's be honest, you, you absolutely smashed it. But what were the things that you decided you needed to focus on and how did you come to that point? Well, I mean, um, as it said on my blog, I think one of my friends had kind of written me off as uh, as being a, as a threat so that kind of motivated me to <laughs> to kind of get back into the training i thought well uh, okay let's have a little look at this and see what happens so i said to my wife give me a year i'm going to go hard or go home um, and i'm going to throw everything at it so i i just thought well what can i realistically achieve and i thought well in the week I, i'm at work 50 or 60 hours so i can do no more than an hour a day but i'll commit to an hour a day that's what i'll do and then at the weekend, I can get out for a couple of hours each morning. And I do, I get out, you know, half six, seven o'clock, even now when it, I stick the lights on the bike. So I'm back by the time the family's up and things. So, you know, I can fit my training around there. But you've got to be disciplined with that. 
um, you know, when I have governor's meetings, if, if I know I'm going to be at work till 8 o'clock at a late meeting, I get up early. I do an hour before I go to work. But normally I come home, walk the dog, cook dinner, get on the bike. That's what I do. That's non-negotiable. It happens. Yeah, but I think you've touched on the first point, and before we get into the training, because uh, I, I mean that's almost obvious to some degree. But there was a shift in your mindset. You know, you decided that you weren't going to put up with being uh, beaten by your mate every more uh, anymore. You decided you weren't going to be average, so to speak. You know, I mean, look, your times are good. A lot of people come to us looking to achieve those times, and then obviously some of our customers and, and the listeners to this podcast are looking to get up to the next level. But you decided you had a goal, and I think that's probably the big thing. And we always talk about this in our blogs and our podcast inside A1 members at nauseum is you got to have a big big why uh, would you agree with that Craig otherwise those dark winter nights those early you know wet cold mornings you're just going to capitulate do you know I couldn't agree with you more um, I took this conversation that I'd had with my mate happened to be uh, it was on Facebook actually you know we were messaging each other uh, and when it came through I took this quote and he said you know I've beaten you comprehensively. Why fight elsewhere? When your PB is better than mine, then I'll readdress our competition. And he'd put R in quotes. And I stuck it on a picture of the two of us time trialing in a two-up. And I, I stuck it in the garage. And I tell you what, every interval, every set, he got told about it. Um, <laughs> and it sounds terrible. But every hard interval, I just looked at this picture. That was it. I wasn't going to be beaten. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, for anyone listening to this that's stuck, I think, you know, this is an absolutely golden nugget, Craig, because you've got to have that why. It doesn't matter whether you want to beat your mate, whether you want to kind of hit a time in a sportif, you know, win your first race. It, it just doesn't matter. If you don't have a clear and compelling vision of why you're doing it, you're not going to, you're not going to grind your way through the hard parts. No, that's exactly it. I think if, you're, if your goal is just you know, I want to get better. I don't think that's enough to get you on the bike, is it? I think if it's, but like you say, it doesn't have to be to be a mate. It can be, I want to hit 350 watts, or like you say, a time in a sportif, or something like that. But you need to, you need to have something that really motivates you, because it's the thing that gets you in the garage when it's cold. It's the thing that gets you out on the road when it's wet, and and it's even better in the knowledge that you know they're not doing it. Absolutely. So key takeout number one, honestly, is just get really dialed in on that why. And, you know, it's great to say, visualize it. Look at yourself, you know, look at your mate, look at the target event and almost visualize the sense of satisfaction, Craig, of achieving that result. Yeah, that's it. And I've got to be honest, I kept everything under my hat. So whenever he'd say, have you been out riding? No, no, I haven't touched it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The fisherman who never fishes it. That's it. You've got to play the game a little bit as well, haven't you? Okay, cool. So you were really dialed in in your big why. You were super motivated, super clear. But, I mean, it's not like as if you suddenly, you know, quit your job and became a professional cyclist. And, you know, I saw one uh, person comment, oh, you're a teacher. And uh, my dad was a teacher, and it's a complete misnomer. You know, teachers teach for 30 hours, but then they kind of deal with parents and plan for the, you know, they, they, they end up working 60 hours a week like everybody else. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that certainly it's it's a challenge fitting it to the week, and I, I'm realistic with what I can achieve. So I didn't I didn't ever set out to do two hours a day in the week when I know that that would never happen. Yeah. Um, maximum maximum in the week is, is an hour a day. Um, I'm fortunate that I've got a supportive wife, you know, so she lets me. Um, but I I've got I come home from work, like I said, I walk the dog, dinner, 
and then straight on the bike. I don't have time to think about it. I don't sit on the sofa and relax. Um, otherwise, it'd be even harder to get a bike. As soon as I finish, get my gear on, get on the bike, and, and get it done. So your thing was an hour every day, Monday to Friday, irrespective of how you were feeling, what was going on, how stressful the day had been. You just got in and you got that hour in. So it was all about consistency, really. Definitely. And fortunately, yeah, I mean, consistency really is the key. I've had some, you know, dark days in there where you haven't, got a, haven't, haven't wanted to be on the bike. And I think uh, I, had a, I had a bit of an epiphany once and I sat, you know, gone through the warm-up thinking, oh, my legs are heavy, I don't want to do this. Got into the first set thinking, oh, I really don't want to do this. And a kind of voice at the back of my head said, what makes you think this isn't happening? Yeah. And that, you know, that made it easier to actually accept going, right, okay, yeah, well, I'm going to do it because there's no physical reason I can't. So I'm just going to get on with it and stop being a bit of a baby. Um, <laughs> man up a little bit. Yeah. But um, I think, I think, like you say, it's it's getting on and it's, it's doing it this it's not not letting the excuses get in that's the thing isn't it there's lots of reasons not to do it but you've got to got to commit you've got to be consistent yep it's a it's a big saying of anthony uh my my, my business partner our head coach you know ultimately like we get people on and they kind of come at it from a hundred different ways to kind of justify the fact that they haven't done the training and the only thing anthony eventually comes out and he says look you, the bottom line is you've just got to man up and do the work you know yeah yeah there's no shortcut to it and and really, you know, one session, one missed session won't make you unfit. But equally, one one good session won't make you fast. Sure. So you've got to you've got to keep building, haven't you? Absolutely. So that's future pace. People listening to this. So you you know you had a best. We're going to just kind of tease and ease out some of the results that you managed to achieve, and then get into some of the training. So you had a best prior to kind of really committing this year and developing that big why that we've spoken about and really committing to it of 57, 34, 25. So what did you get to? What what results were you looking at at the end of this year of complete focus and total I mean, commitment? I mean the the I. I focused, I'd really thought, my PB for 10 was like a, a mid-21. Um, so I thought, do you know what, if I if I can consistently race at a low 21 and dip into the 20s, you know, a 21, uh, 2050, I'll be really pleased. Um, and equally with the 25 being a 57, I thought, you know, if I could get down to about 55, 54, that's really respectable, and, yeah. you know, a really good time, I'd be I'd be over the moon with that. Um but as the as the training kind of paid off, I, I surpassed all the expectations, and I, I ended up on 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 my tens. I was regularly 2010, 2015. I PB'd at 1910. Sure. Um, 1910. That's phenomenal. Well, it's a it's a club record for us, and um, it, by nearly a minute, the club record before then was 2007. Yeah. Um, the 25. My first 25 of the season, I was 52-10 or something, something ridiculous. It was it was unbelievable. Um, because uh, And then I, I finished like 49-44. Couldn't believe it, you know, it was surpassed all expectations. But I'll be honest, I, I don't ever look at the time during a race. Um, I just, because I can't control it, you know, weather, terrain, traffic, all have a have an impact. So I just look at what I can control. I look at my power. Yeah. And I know I can do, you know, whatever, 340 watts for an hour. So, so I do that, and then the time will come. 
Mm-hmm. And did you kind of, you know, t- take us through, I mean, so you committed at what point in the season or in the year, like, so we're now, as we record this, we're almost at the end of November, and, you know, we really encourage people that are looking to kind of peak, you know, get their first peak in the season um, towards the end of April, May, to kind of really get going in November. So what, what, at what point in the year was it that you really committed and got, you know, got really serious about this training? The day I started was the, the middle of December, um, so it had been kind of ad hoc end of the season. Funnily enough, I was having a look at this over the other day, and I was maybe cycling once or twice a week. It was really no more than three hours a week at all for the whole season, for the whole year, but then kind of middle of December, I think it was about the 14th or 15th, I literally went every day. I cycled Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, every day. Um, and come you know end of February, I was feeling a bit battered and bruised but it was two and a half months of hard training Hmm. but i and i needed to see results you know so march kind of i knew the season was coming in april so that kind of got me through march but it was yeah i think uh i didn't certainly didn't pb as i didn't start the season as as promisingly as i would so i think i'd completely agree It, it took me until kind of I'd say middle middle end of May for me to start PB and week after week after week because I'd started kind of mid December. Mm-hmm. And how did you kind of structure? Did you do your traditional base build and then peak? No, I, what I I'd, I'd made the conscious effort to decide to to have a consistent season. So I didn't I didn't try and peak for one race. Um, I just thought I'd I, could, I didn't really want to put all my eggs in one basket. Mm. I I would have preferred to be have a reasonable time throughout the season rather than have some slower times but you know hope for the best because you can get stopped by traffic or weather or a puncher um you know it could just go wrong for you on the day so i I tried to maintain a strong season so i tended to do um two hard sessions in the week uh with a couple of kind of easier recovery ones and then a bit more at the weekend, but the weekends tended to be kind of two and a half hours of um, kind of tempo work. So they weren't zone one, zone two. They'd have some threshold work and some sweet spot. Two hours, you know, two and a half hours. So not not out for four hours at a time. So it was still a, it was still manageable with the time that you had. Yeah, yeah. I, I can kind of kind of relate to the peaking thing. I, I missed my peak. Uh, a couple of years ago by two weeks uh, no more in my target race and then won three races in one week (laughs) (laughs) wasn't my target at all but you know it can be really hard as you say to kind of you know guarantee on that day you know that's why it's so impressive when you see the likes of Wiggins nail it for the Olympics and the worlds to kind of get there for that day is really something special but you know and it's a common question that we get especially from time trialists all the time or mountain bikers, believe it or not, mountain bikers, um, you know, they kind of race uh, series, and that's their big thing. It's not necessarily, well, obviously they like to win on the day, but they're generally always racing for uh, a series over the course of a season. So they, they constantly say to us, well, yeah, how can, I be, how can I be good all season long, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and that might... One of the things that we um, we talk about, I mean, when people come into our programs, we kind of say to them, it's really achievable. It's it's realistic that you can see a 20% uh, 
gain in FTP. And we work on two things, obviously improving their functional threshold power, but also optimizing their weight. And, and generally, if people stick to the program, they get that type of a gain. But we get a lot of skepticism. People say it isn't possible. It isn't um, realistic. Yet when people come to our program, uh, because we, we, we give them a lot of structured intervals, a lot of progressive you know, introduction of training load, it's possible. And, you know, you, you, you probably way surpassed. And, and you know, let, let's be, I'm, I'm going to be clear. You're, you're not a customer of A1 uh, members. I just reached out to you because of your phenomenal story. But you, you've proven yourself. You must have seen an increase of, of in excess of 20% in your FTP. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it, the numbers have certainly increased. And I think the big thing to touch on is I've lost weight. Yes. You know, so I've, I, I was careful with my food. I started paying attention to that. I haven't given things, you know, I still have chocolate, I still have sweets, but I've just been, I've made more sensible choices. But in terms of performance gains, you're perfectly correct. I've gone from third category to elite in a season. Um, and, you know, you think once you get up to the kind of mid-21s, it's much, much harder to get the gains. And it is, but it's achievable. Mm. It's, it's definitely achievable. Um, it's just like you said at the very beginning. It's not easy, and you put in the hard work, but the gains are there to be taken. And I think, um, I mean, I, I made up the, the, the training myself, really, so I, I, didn't, I wasn't coached. But, uh, so I think if I'd had something a bit more structured, maybe perhaps it could have gone even better. You know, I could have got a bit more, a bit more out of it if I boxed a bit more cleverly. I mean, I went through the old school theory of, do you know what? I'm going to ride my bike and I'm going to put in a couple of hard sessions here and, you know, I'll train my FTP and I'll do a bit of zone five work because that's, that's what a time trialist does. Um, mm. But, you know, I think if I'd focus my training a bit better here and there, I think I, I perhaps could have made, made even better improvements. So what was the mixture in terms of your training? Just take us through a typical training week that you went through, Craig. Um, in the build-up to the season, so kind of this period, um, it was still fairly straightforward. I mean, tonight I've done, I'm focusing on a lot of technique at the moment, but I still put in two kind of 10-minute FTP zones, uh, yeah, intervals, but I'm focusing on, on kind of pedaling technique. So tomorrow will be fairly steady. Friday, I'll put in um, a few just three-minute kind of TT efforts. Again, so over an hour, I might only put in three or four of them just to keep things honest because what you don't want to do, certainly at this point in the year, is reduce the intensity but keep the volume the same because you're just going to detrain. Um, and the weekend, I'll put in a couple of kind of sweet spot efforts on the, on the longer rides. Mm. I try to keep the... Go on. No, no, I think you've really hit the nail on the head. And, and again, one of the things that if you're a, what we kind of say, quote unquote, a time challenge cyclist, you know, it, it's a myth that, you know, has kind of come from uh, cycling, you know, from the, you know, the 70s and 80s that, oh, you can't do high intensity in the winter. You'll, you'll, you'll burn out and peak and, you know, you'll be flying come December and gone in, uh, gone in uh, February. It's, it's utter nonsense. I mean, if you've got limited, I mean, you know, it's, it's essentially a function of one, one of two things, time and intensity, and it's a variable of both of those. And if you've got limited time to train, you have to increase the intensity, especially in the winter period. Yeah, that's completely it. I mean, if you're doing eight hours a week at zone three, zone four in the season, and then you suddenly start doing eight hours a week at zone two, 
you're just going to get unfit. Mm. That's it. So you've got to you've got to keep a balance, but it's it's also an opportunity, I suppose. Like you say, you want to hit the training in mid-November, so October, the beginning of November, there's the time to take a little break and, and recharge to stop yourself getting jaded or, or burning out. But um, I suppose success breeds success, so you need, to, you need to have something measurable, don't you? That's the thing. Um, you need to be able to see results, so whether that's a power test, whether that's your weight dropping, whether that's you just, you know, being the stronger one at the hills on, on your group rides. I think as long as you can see the success, it keeps you keeps you pushing a bit. But like I said, I tend to have two harder sessions during the week, three that are a bit, bit easier because the, the weekend, if I'm out for, I suppose, four or five hours across the two days, you carry a bit of fatigue from that. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday tend to be the easy ones, and Tuesday and Thursday tend to be more. I'll put in some sweet spot work, some zone, some FTP, or maybe in a, a little bit of zone five. Mm. And take take us through. I mean, you mentioned technique, which you know, in teaching um, is a huge thing. And uh, I mean, I was really into time trialing in my day, and I still have, <laughs> hoping to dust it off at some stage. My uh, giant Trinity Advanced hanging up in the garage because there's just no time trialing scene whatsoever where I live in South Africa. But um, just how important do you feel technique was uh, to the gains that you made? Um, I think I think techniques are really important. I mean, one one thing that I certainly advocate is ride your time trial bike as much as possible. Mm. If um, if the day was dry, I went up my time trial bike. My two-hour weekend ride were on my time trial bike. And at, at the beginning of when I first got it out, you know, I could only manage three, four, five minutes in there before my shoulders got sore and things like that. But it slowly built. But the, the fact was, I was doing this in. Uh, January. So come March, April when I was racing in it, I was perfectly comfortable in the position and my, my muscles had adapted. But even throughout the season, it's a shame I've got a nice road bike, but, but it hardly got a look in. Mm. Um, I had to return my Watt bike monitor, so I, Nottingham's just under 50 miles from here, so I cycled up there on the TT bike and I cycled back on the TT bike. Wow. Um, but I couldn't... I couldn't Stress enough that time on the time trial bike to to get used to putting out power in that position is essential. And how did you strike the balance between aero and comfort? Um, I suppose because I tend to race mainly tens and twenty fives, it was uh, it's predominantly aero. Um, but I suppose it's, it's little enough. And what I did as well is the training bike I'd got set up in the same position so even even tonight i did a couple of ftp efforts and those efforts were in the time trial position yeah i've got to be honest that's the first time i've done it since i stopped racing but i thought if i can get used to just five minutes each now then come again march when we start racing the position will be perfectly comfortable you know your hamstrings and everything will have adapted there'll be no tightness there'll be no sore shoulders there'll be no um you know your body won't be tense your upper body so i'm on site to get them in now i think that that's one thing that sets me apart from a lot of people that i see at the club that it's their time trial bikes literally their sunday best mm. and it only comes out for races and you just think well you're not going to be able to 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 put out the power if you're not used to cycling in the position 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I want to kind of touch on a different point that you raised that caught my attention and something that I personally am uh, fascinated by, and that's um, success breeds success and momentum. Do you want to dive into that a bit and, and you know, just explain how did that affect you? Did you find having done, uh, you know, a 50, you know, 53, 54, then when you stood on the start line, you were kind of panicking, thinking, will I achieve this or did it drive you on? Like, were you clear in your mind that you were going to do better next time? Uh, you know, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you phrased it that way because I, I found that um, actually I started to lose it in the head a little bit because I think it was a lot of pressure actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because uh, a lot of people from the club would start looking and go, oh, you'll go well tonight. And, and you think, do you know, what if I don't? You know, yeah. God, it's the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I read um, The Chimp Paradox by uh, Steve Peters, the, Steve the Peters, sports yeah. psychologist at Team Sky, Chris Hoy, people like that. Brilliant book, yeah. Um, and and it, was, it was kind of the point I touched on earlier where I don't look at the time in a race now. I don't worry about what other people are doing because I've got no control over it. The, the things I can control are my training, my nutrition, my equipment, and the power that I put out. So... They're, they're the things that I think about. Um, and then it means I hit the start line, and you're confident, aren't you? You know you've trained well. You know you've eaten the right things. You've got all your gear on. Your bike's set up right. So you'll go out and hit, hit the numbers that you, that you need to, and the time will come. Yeah, and for anyone interested in kind of really diving into that, um, you know, The Chimp Paradox by Dr. Steve Peters, as Craig just mentioned, is absolutely awesome for controlling that inner voice, which really is prevalent in time trial, that why am I doing this kind of white noise. And the other one is Executive Toughness by Jason Selk is another brilliant one. And Jason Selk has worked with all of the top uh, US PGA golfers because as you know golfing is is all in the head and as you stand over that ball if you're thinking as you stand over that ball I need to put this you know within six feet from the flag you're finished you know what you need to think about is your routine your your your, your approach your setup how you address the ball you've got to be in that zone if you're as you say thinking oh I got to do a 52 tonight or I'm going to look like an idiot you're going to look like an idiot an hour later yeah, and you're going to be worried and panicked for the whole race. Your confidence is going to be low, and you're going to every time a car comes close, oh, you're going to start losing it in your head. And it's it's out of your control. So yeah, that's where it was really really useful. Where you just thought, do you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my numbers. I've prepared well. It will be the best I can I can do. And whatever the time is, it will be the best that I can do. And yeah. then you hit the start line. You're confident, and it, it's all good. Yeah. So there's some real nuggets, um, you know, coming out here. I mean, one is about mindset, having that really big why and using that as Craig has outlined to really drive and motivate you. And it does not matter what it is, even if you make it up, you know, Armstrong used to really, and I mean, obviously the guy was a psychopath, but, you know, notwithstanding that, I mean, you know, he used to use his hatred for, you know, other riders and, and people who he felt had belittled them to drive on because, that's what allows you to go, you know, really deep. Um, the, the whole point of consistency, the whole point of trusting the process and trusting the numbers and not becoming obsessed or overly obsessing about a result, Craig, these are all things that, you know, are cumulative and quantitative that, you know, and, and, and it's not marginal gains. These are game changers in terms of increasing your performance. Oh, I completely agree. Um, they really are, I mean, 
we had one lad at the club that wasn't going as well as he should. And I'll tell you what, week in, week out, he was fiddling with his position. Nothing ever had time to settle. And in the end, I think he only raced half a dozen times or so. Yeah. But it, it's not that he didn't have the capability, but he'd lost it in his head. Yeah. And that was exactly... He just didn't, you know, the the slow times were too much for him to bear, whereas if he just said, right, okay, this is the training I've done, let's focus in on that, then he could, the outcomes would have been much, much better. Mm-hmm. So your big takeouts um, that you're carrying into next year, what are the top three or four things that you're kind of focusing on uh, for next year? Because obviously it's the scale of diminishing returns. You know, you're not going to go from a 1910 to a 17. Maybe you will. If you do, you'll be probably riding for Team Sky at the end of the year. But um, what are the things that you see as the, the next level or the next step up in your performance? And, and what are you doing to motivate yourself? What kind of training are you focused on? How do you get to the next level, Craig? Um, you know, much like last year, I'm not so sure what I can achieve um, because I was so blown away with what happened last year. Um, but what I have learned is, I suppose, uh, I'm focusing on technique, so getting really comfortable in that time trial position. So like I said, I started tonight, um, which ties in with what you said, get the training going in mid-November. So I started tonight putting those intervals in the position, and they'll only be the odd one. I won't sit on the, to- on the bike for an hour in the time trial position, but it'll just be five minutes here and there, just so I, I still get used to it. It's, it's keeping consistent. Um, you know, that's another thing that I learned last year. Consistency is really the key. Plan your sessions, get your sessions planned, and follow through. You know, if that means you need to get up and do it before work to fit it in, get it before work and fit it in. If it means it'll be a late night, fine. But these can be planned for and accommodated for, you know. Um, mm. So, and other than that, I suppose, it, like you say, it's marginal gains. It's... Um, I think it took me the, the season really to get my race craft sorted out, you know, just to, to get used to how to pace it well and things like that. So I'm looking forward to actually hitting the season with a bit more fitness than I finished the last one and, and seeing where it goes. Yeah. But I mean, again, you know, this is a really, you know, important takeout because one of the things that we're at pains to point out uh, with A1 members and A1 coaching is that if you want to ride well in a specific event whether it's a sportive a race a crit time trial you've got to train specific for that event i mean you know it's like the roy Keane quote if you you know fail to prepare prepare to fail you you cannot rock up you know and say this time trial is my target event and you haven't trained on your time trial bike so you're going to feel uncomfortable in the position if you feel uncomfortable in the position you're not going to um, you know, you're not going to uh, produce your best if you haven't really focused on things like your functional threshold and VO2 max efforts. You know, you're going to really struggle to get the last, um, you know, 100% out of yourself. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's a time trial or road race, you've got to be super focused on what do I want to achieve and how does my training relate to that, Craig? Yeah, you're perfectly right. I mean, I, I rarely do the kind of the really, really, really top end power because, of course, I don't ever sprint. And like we, we talked about before this interview, it's my top end is very, very poor, but it's not what I train for. So, like you say, as a time trialist, a lot of my training sweet spot zone four, zone five, because that mimics what I do in a race. And equally, 
it's it's where I make the gains in the areas that I want to. You know, if you ever look on Training Peaks at my kind of uh, performance chart, the five minutes isn't too bad. The twenty minutes is is good. The sixty minutes is really good. But then when you look at my one second, five second things like that, it says like untrained cyclist. Whereas the twenty, the twenty minute, and the sixty minute are well up there. Cat one, you know, domestic elite, you know. Yeah. Um, it's about specific training for your events, isn't it? So training on the bike that you're going to ride in the cadence, going to ride, putting the timing in the zones that you're going to do. So your training needs to mimic your events, doesn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. But also as well, it's knowing what your skill is. I mean, you know, my um. You know, business partner Anthony is, a, is is probably slightly more of an all-rounder than maybe you would be. He's got a hell of a functional threshold. It's like 390 watts for 73 or 4 kg. But, you know, he can also sprint okay. Um, and he's a decent enough all-rounder, whereas I'm the total opposite. I mean, I, I drag myself by the skin of my nails to the finish, but if I'm there about at the finish, I mean, when you're putting out 1400 watts at 65, 66 kg, you're going to be competitive. Yeah, yeah, especially on an uphill finish. And, and it's knowing what that uh, kind of key strength is and, and really targeting your season around that, whether it's events or, or disciplines, you know. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So, just in terms of takeouts, um, you know, for people listening to this, that think, oh, it's all well for you. You know, you've obviously got lots of natural talent. You'd all the time of the world's train. I mean, what we're listening to, that's absolute bullshit. Like anybody can, if they apply their mind, if they really are determined, if they have that big enough why, anyone can see the gains relative from where they started. Yeah, that's completely it. I mean, you wouldn't have said last year that I was naturally talented or anything like that when you'd seen my results, you know. I'd struggled to get in the top 10 in a club night. I mean, an open, I was 50th, 60th, something like that. So there's, and, and like you say, full-time job. So I still work 50 or 60 hours a week. Um, and it's just about, as we've said throughout this, it's about the consistency and about the hard work. Um, without it, there's, there's no gifts, is there? No, there's no free lunches. Craig, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, really looking forward to we're going to get you inside the community of a1 and uh, follow with absolute fascination your season next year really looking forward to seeing how you manage to progress from an already absolutely amazing level and i'm absolutely 100 percent confident you'll do it great oh, yeah, i'm looking forward to it and thank you for taking the time to speak to me now just just before we go i want you to get a plug in for your blog and your website Right, okay. Um, again, well, the blog I've just started is just secretttraining.wordpress.com, and it, it's again coming back to this uh, where it all started and this, this friend writing me off. <laughs> so, of course, it, yeah, I started this blog because a lot of people have asked, well, how have you done it? You know, what have you done? So hopefully people will find that, you know, I don't profess to be an expert, but what I can do is I can, I can share what worked for me. Epic. So go check it out. Just repeat the, the uh, URL again. It's secrettttraining.wordpress.com. Awesome. Okay, so it's really worth a read. That's how I reached out to Craig in the first instance. So as I said, Craig, we'll get you inside the community. Look forward to your contribution and uh, following your progress over the next 12 months. Brilliant. That's great. Okay, take care, mate. Bye. Thank you. See ya.